0: So when we obey Him, we have this obedient, loving relationship with Him, they dwell in us in that way, and we reflect His truth and love in this world.
1: Welcome to Working with the Word, a weekly podcast designed to equip you with the skills and confidence for deeper daily Bible study. I'm Jeff O'Rear.
0: And I'm Emerson Brown.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the 70th episode of Working with the Word. Today we're continuing our reading and study of the section of conference found in John 13 through 17. We saw in our last episode some interesting character details of Judas Iscariot and Peter, but more importantly, we saw things about Jesus' teaching and demonstration of what true service and love actually look like. In John 14, Jesus is continuing his conversation with the 11, remember by this point Judas has left, and he seeks to prepare them for what will be happening over the next few hours, when he is arrested, the next few days when he is crucified and then eventually resurrected, and over the next few weeks when he will leave them as he returns back to the Father. We would encourage you to take a moment to pause and remind yourself of what you've already observed in the text by reading John 14 on your own, or you can listen to Emerson read it in episode 68 from about the 6-minute, 20-second mark to the 10-minute, 22-second mark. All right, let's get right to it. Mmm, kind of. As we're getting into these chapters in John 14 through 16, there are some challenges that we want to bring out or just some things that we want to address as we're going to be talking about these chapters back to back. So before spending some time doing interpretation and application work in this particular chapter, we want to talk about those challenges. You could describe John 14 through 16 as being written in a, what we might know as a stream of consciousness style, as Jesus walks with his disciples through a couple of topics in these chapters. Mainly love, Jesus' relationship with the Father, Jesus versus the world, and matters that relate to the Holy Spirit. We want to do our best to address each of these topics, but we also want to do our best to not be repetitive on our program, so we want to mention that we won't be going to the same level of depth over each of these topics in each chapter. Because of this challenge, here are some things in John 14 that we are not going to be discussing in this particular episode.
0: And the first of these that we're not going to be talking about is the conflict with the world that Jesus is going to get into later on. Judas, not as scary, brings this up in verse 22. Judas is responding to one of the things that Jesus said earlier, and he says, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus is later going to talk about the ruler of the world who's about to come, of course, referring to Satan. And so Jesus has a special relationship with his followers that he doesn't share with the world, and that leaves him and Jesus's people in conflict with the world. But we're going to save that for chapter 15 because Jesus is going to go in more detail about that. Uh, So we're, we're going to kind of let that to the side. There's not a whole lot of detail about that in chapter 14, so we'll talk about that later on in chapter 15, so we'll save that for then.
1: Something else that comes up in this chapter is relating to the work of the Holy Spirit. We see in verse 16 and 17, as well as in verse 25 through verse 26, Jesus talks about the counselor. And this is definitely an important theme throughout all of these chapters, but for the time being, as Jesus is just kind of introducing the Holy Spirit in these few verses, we'll be leaving those for another point. We'll be seeing the fact that Jesus is going to be leaving the disciples and the counselor, or some of your versions might say the comforter or the helper, will come and help the disciples as they teach others about Jesus. So we can't ignore what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit within these chapters overall, but we are going to put that on the shelf for the time being and delve into that a little bit more when we get into chapter 16. So for today, there's really two main things we're talking about, or really might say two main sections. We're going to be talking about the I Am statement of Jesus here early on in this conversation, as well as some things related to Jesus' connection to the Father and how that also relates to the connections with briefly the Spirit, and also his disciples. So let's get into that conversation as it relates to this next I am statement.
0: So the first section we're looking at is verses 1 through 6. And this is a very famous passage where Jesus comforts his disciples, says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then later on in verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When Jesus says "I am," of course, that reminds us of the, the the "I am" statements we've already seen Jesus make. I'm the bread. I'm the light. This is number six out of seven, and Jesus is going to talk about one more of those later on in in the book. But this is we have to remember: this is a word of comfort for for us and for his disciples. Jesus is not yes, he's making a a doctrinal statement here, a doctrinal point, mm-hmm. but that doctrinal point has a practical purpose and. We have to remember that there's also a flow between chapters 13 and 14. Jesus has just told his disciples at the end of chapter 13 that, that there is a time coming when he is going to leave them, and it's going to leave them in a place of vulnerability, uncertainty. What are we going to do? Jesus is trying to give them comfort. You know what you need to do. You know where to go, and that way is me. So he tells them, don't be troubled. Mm-hmm. Well, that raises a question of Why? Why shouldn't they be troubled? I mean, there's a lot that they don't know is going to happen, that's going to happen, and it's going to leave them with a lot of questions. And I think Jesus gives them three reasons why they shouldn't be troubled. And the first of those is because they trust Jesus. In verse 1, he says, Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, some versions, we're reading from the Christian Standard Bible, but some versions translate the first phrase, believe in God, as a statement of fact. So it's not just a command to believe in God, but it's a statement of you, you already believe in God. And so now you need to trust in me as well, because I am God. He's going to talk about. So he's talking about how you have spent these last three years with me. You know, the works that I've done, you know, the things I've taught, you know who I am. Mm -hmm. And so take that trust that you have in the father and now place it in me. So because of that, don't be troubled. The second reason he gives them is what he says he's going to do when he leaves. In verses 2 and 3, he says, in my Father's house are many rooms, and how he's going to bring them to himself, and that they're going to be with him forever. This hope for eternity that Jesus is focusing on. I think the King James Version talked about and translated this idea of, in my Father's mansion, or in my Father's house there are many mansions, and when I read of that, I always have this song jingling in the back of my mind. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. That kind of obscures the idea what Jesus is talking about. He's not saying that there are many mansions, many separate houses, but really the idea is that there is a single house, which is God's, with many rooms. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I have a single mansion that's going to belong to me one day. I've got Instead, I've got a room in God's house. And the point is that that we're going to be dwelling in the same place as God, our Father, and yeah. Jesus. Right. And in verse 3, at the end of the verse, he says, I'm going to take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And that's our hope. That's the point of heaven, is to be with God in eternity. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the second reason, hope for eternity. And then thirdly, he gives them the certainty of the path as the reason not to be troubled. Verses 4 through 6 you have this interesting exchange. Jesus says, you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas, you know, <laughs> I think I would probably be th- thinking the same thing Thomas says. He says, uh, we don't even know the destination. How can we know the way? Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus says, if you know me, then you know the way already. And so that's when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the pathway. I am the avenue to get to the Father. And we'll talk more about that statement at the end of our episode, but I want you to notice the singularity of what he says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If everything that we've read about Jesus up to this point in John is true, about him, him being the Son of God, about him being the bread of life, the light of the world, all of that, the glory of God, then this statement has to be true. That Jesus is the only path to salvation. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostles state very boldly salvation is in no one else. And while, yes, again, this is a doctrinal point, it is an exclusive claim to salvation for Jesus, he also intends this as a word of comfort for his disciples and assurance. And we need to ask ourselves do we have that assurance? If we are in Christ, then we should have that assurance that that we are on the path to heaven, that we know the path to heaven, who is Jesus, who is our access to the Father. So Jesus gives them a lot of reasons and us a lot of reasons to have hope because of who he is, even in our times of trouble, and our times of uncertainty. And, And so that leads us to our really bigger section in this chapter when Jesus talks about the connection that he has to the Father. If he is the path to the Father, then that Really, kind of implies that there's a, a strong link between them. And that's what the rest of this chapter talks about.
1: Yeah, when Jesus says, No one comes to the Father except through me, he goes on and says in verse 7, If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And very similar to what we just saw with Jesus making statements and then Thomas interrupting to ask a question, we see another one of Jesus' disciples here, Philip, responds, Not necessarily to ask a question, but really more to make a request in verse 8. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. I don't really know what Philip has in mind. Is he expecting another kind of like Mount Sinai kind of moment? Is he wanting a wheel within a wheel Ezekiel kind of vision? (laughs) Maybe something to that degree. He wants to see the glory of God. And here Jesus recognizes that his disciples don't quite understand this point yet. Throughout John, Jesus has made statements that connect him to the Father in a very special and unique way. We've seen that in the conversation with John the Baptist in John 3, 31 through 36, and John chapter 5 and verse 37. See, John's already told us that when the Word became flesh, that we will have seen the glory of the Father in a way that we've never observed before. We're going to go back and actually read John 1, verse 14 and verse 18. Here in this introduction, John 1, 14, the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse eighteen, No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. And so Jesus is making these statements or talking about his relationship with the Father, basically answering his disciples, If you know me, which they spent the last three years, at least, with him and have watched him do these signs and do all of this teaching and rebuking all of these leaders and showing all these acts of compassion and all of his authority and power. And some of them even got to see him transfigured and see his glory in that way. If you know me, then you know my Father. Everything that Jesus says and does is not on his own whim. What I mean by that is that he is completely devoted to doing his Father's will remember in John chapter 4 verse 34 kind of in between Jesus talking with the woman at the well when she goes to get people from town and then coming out he's speaking with his disciples and of course they're thinking about food and then when Jesus says to them food is to do the will of my father I'm kind of paraphrasing there I think I may not have that exactly but the point is that Jesus is completely devoted and focused on doing his father's will now it's true Jesus did eat we see other instances of that But you see Jesus' character and Jesus' mission and intention. So as the disciples spend time with Jesus and see all the works and signs that he has done, they are getting glimpses of the Father. And so hopefully, Philip is going to start to meditate upon this as well as the other 11 will start to meditate upon this and see that they really are seeing God in a way that has never been observed before. And hopefully we realize, as You know, this is important for the disciples to understand. This is not just necessarily about them, though. They are the focus of this chapter and this conversation that Jesus is having. But when we read about the signs and the teachings and read about what Jesus has done and is doing, we're seeing glimpses of God as well. I mean, we're observing all of those things, maybe not with a physical eye. You might say that they had that quote-unquote advantage, but we're still reading about seeing God in that way. So... Thinking about Jesus' works as he ends that conversation or ends that point with Philip for the moment, he says in John 14, 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This chapter in John 17 and probably John 15 and 16 are some, if you really want to work on tongue twisters, find all of the <laughs> I'm in them and they're in me stuff or all the yes. glorifies who's throughout the later sections coming up. But here he says there in verse 11, believe in me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves, the things that I'm doing that are what the Father wants me to do. So speaking of those works, Jesus makes a very attention-grabbing kind of statement there in verse 12. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. My understanding here at this point of this particular passage that the apostles are able to do these quote unquote greater works because the spirit gives them this power. Jesus tells them in Luke 24 to wait for that power in Jerusalem. We see some of that in Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, if we think about outside of John, but these greater works that Jesus talks about, I mean, that's quite a statement. think Jesus is healing people, casting out demons, raising people from the dead. He's teleporting people when he crosses the sea, (laughs) he's walking on water. So are they going to like feed larger crowds with smaller amounts of food? Or you know Lazarus was dead for four days, so they're going to raise somebody from the dead who's been eight days dead? It's not necessarily about the acts themselves, but it seems to be more about the scope of which the work the apostles will do, as they're going to be preaching and teaching, which, remember, that's part of Jesus' work. Jesus is not just going around finger-gunning miracles at everybody or everywhere he goes. His main mission is to preach the message of the kingdom of God and preparing people to repent and receive that message by believing in it. So the apostles will go and preach and teach, and they will perform miracles for the whole world that are going to be leading people then to join the church that Jesus has died for and established. So, yes, while Jesus will not physically be with them, he will be with them as they seek his help in this effort. He talks about with them within this section in verse 13 and 14, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week in John chapter 15 as well. So if the disciples are truly starting to grasp the relationship between Jesus and the Father, they understand the works that Jesus are doing are the type of works they need to do. If the disciples truly love Jesus, then they must keep doing the work that he has commanded them to do. And that's going to lead to some pretty... You know, frightening and concerning things. Like we start off with this chapter, you know, do not be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And later on, he's going to talk about their need to have or feel peace. Jesus throughout this discussion is sprinkling in the fact of I'm leaving you. And that's not just talking about I'm going to die at the cross and I'm going to come back. I think he's also looking farther ahead to say I'm going back to the Father where I'll be alive, but I'm not going to be physically on earth with you anymore. So Jesus is helping to encourage, remember, like you've already talked about Emerson, his disciples to keep the work of the commands that he's doing because they love him. And when those things feel frightening or concerning, Jesus is looking to comfort his disciples here, reminding them that even when Jesus leaves, that this is actually a testimony to the fact that they are in Jesus and the Father. We see in verse 20 and verse 21, on that day you will know that i am in my father and you are in me and i am in you there's more of our tongue twister stuff and in verse 21 the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me the one who loves me will be loved by my father and i will also love him and reveal myself to him if there's something that we really want is to be connected to jesus that way we can be connected to god now jesus is god that maybe gets to where my brain hurts a little bit and John fourteen fifteen and sixteen are not necessarily just walk in the park kind of ch- passages. There are maybe some very difficult things to grapple with here. But Jesus explains that he is connected to the Father. He's trying to encourage his disciples through this, encouraging us with this. And just as this chapter began with Jesus, as just as this, and just as this chapter began with Jesus seeking to comfort his disciples, it ends similarly by reminding them to have peace. Jesus knows what he's about to endure within the next few hours and the next few days. He says in verse 27, "Peace I leave with you; my peace I give to you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled or fearful." You know, it's true and we would have to maybe think about the fact of if we were Jesus and we knew as we're, you know, maybe walking to the garden or we're in the garden and we're there with our closest friends that we know at some moment, Judas is about to come out of those bushes with those soldiers, and he's about to betray us, and we're about to be arrested and beaten and very painful things to endure and ultimately die. But Jesus' disciples are very much a part of all of that activity as well. What Jesus endures and what Jesus goes through is much greater, I would say, but Jesus is not ignorant of how his disciples are going to be affected by what's about to happen. He knows that this is going to be a very trying time, probably very fearful, very confusing time for all of them. And so he knows how this will affect not just him, but his disciples as well. And so he's trying to comfort them with peace, this peace that is not like the kind of band-aid peace that you just slap on, like the world has to offer. But when the counselor comes, knowing that they will actually understand. It will be confusing. It may seem strange when they are going to watch Jesus ascend back into heaven and they think, what now? But when the counselor comes, it'll help them understand, help them understand the relationship between Jesus and the father and ultimately their relationship and what they need to do in being part of God's kingdom.
0: And if there's really one hard part to understand about this chapter, it's those, those tongue twister passages where Jesus says, I'm in the father and the father is in me. And of course, that does address the question of, Jesus and the Father both being divine and and having that unique relationship. But it also talks about, it also highlights the, the obedience that Jesus had. And that's really the simple principle that we want to focus on with our so what. All of this indwelling language sounds very mysterious. And not that it's always easy to understand the how, but the basic is that the basic what is that when Jesus is in us and when we are in Jesus, What that means is we have an obedient relationship with him in which we reflect his truth and love in the world. That's what Jesus was highlighting here, is that when you see him and his works and his teaching, you see everything that God has told him to do. And the same is true for us. Um, When you look at verse 10, he says to Philip, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. So highlighting what Jeff has already talked about, They could see the Father in him by his words and his actions. Well, at the end of this chapter, towards the end of the chapter, verse 23, he makes the same point about us. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so when we obey him, we have this obedient, loving relationship with him, then they dwell in us in that way, and we reflect his truth and love in this world. And what a great blessing and privilege that is. What a great promise that we can even live that out today, 2,000 years later. So consider that blessing of the relationship that we can have with Jesus in this chapter.
1: So for our challenge for this episode, we want to spend some time back in John 14 and verse 6. Emerson mentioned we would come back to that here at the end. We want to make the point that globally, when you consider all of the people on the earth, all of the views and ideological thoughts I think is a way you could say that maybe that's a phrase maybe just you could say all the different religions on the earth John 14 verse 6 would be one of the most contested passages on all of the Bible just the fact that Jesus says I'm the only way to salvation if Jesus says I'm one of many ways that would be one thing but Jesus says I am the only way to that salvation there will be lots of people who think, well, what about my religion? What about my religion that maybe is not even connected to Jesus at all? Other religions that believe in other gods or believe in other, you know, beliefs or spiritual ideas, I mean, that's going to bring a lot of contention. And so John 14, verse 6 is a very important passage for us to ingrain, not just memorize, but thinking about what is the theological and the practical point within all of this. So what our challenge for you this week related to that passage is write out your defense for Jesus's statement in John chapter 14 verse 6. How would you defend what Jesus says when he says I am the way, the truth and the life? And then along with that, how that statement reflects a peace within your life, how that statement brings you peace, as well as how that statement encourages you to keep the commandments of God. Some other important themes of this chapter about peace and about obedience as well. See how really this statement anchors all of that together.
0: Thank you for tuning into Working with the Word today. Next time, we will continue our look at Jesus' conversation with the disciples in John chapter 15, especially as he focuses on their relationship to him as the vine, to one another as fellow disciples, and, like we mentioned earlier today, their relationship to the world. Until then, if there are questions or topics or books of the Bible you'd like for us to cover in future episodes, you can find and reach out to us on Facebook at Working With the Word, on Instagram at workingwiththeword.podcast, or send us an email to workingwiththewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, Working With The Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.
1: To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity.